Well, good morning, uh, LLC. It's good to uh, worship with you this morning to have a guest with us, Ren Collective, and a story uh, from uh, Francis Chia and all the people that are making this uh, service happen. Uh, thank you for your hard work and the background in AV. I know uh, all the effort that you're putting in uh, in, order to, in order to make our service happen. Uh, so I'm so glad that we can come together uh, on, this first, uh, on this first Sunday of May already. I can't believe uh, this year has gone by so quickly. I'm not sure time has been fast or slow for you, but it's May already, and it's amazing uh, where we find ourselves uh, in, in this year. I hope that, uh, that we'll continue to pray uh, just for the situation around the world, for COVID-19, for the pandemic, uh, for uh, God to bring healing to the land, and also for um, people that are going through times of suffering and trial right now, that God will give them uh, peace and comfort. Uh, this morning, we are continuing on in our series called Miracles, uh, When God Makes a Way. And, and we're learning how through different miracles in the scriptures, how uh, when God's people are at their backs, when there seems to be no way, when it seems like there's no way out, when there's no more hope, uh, God shows up and God provides and God does the miraculous. Last week, we uh, read and, and studied the passage in Exodus of the Red Sea of how God made a way through the sea and how we learned that uh, the way that God makes a way may not be the way that uh, you would. And, and today we're, we're journeying into the book of Jonah, and we could easily do a whole series on this. So I, I'm well aware that I'm not doing the book fully justice uh, today by giving it one sermon. But I thought it would be uh, to pick this sermon in terms of Jonah uh, in the belly of a big fish and choose this miracle and explore it a little bit in terms of how God makes a way uh, for Jonah and for the sailors and for uh, the, the, the Ninevites and how this applies uh, to us uh, today, uh, during the time of COVID-19, during the time of 2020. Uh, I want to start off by sharing just a quick story of uh, what happened on January 1st, uh, 1929. It was the championship game uh, in the Rose Bowl, which is a big football tournament in the States, in, in, uh, in the colleges and universities. And it was a game between the uh, University of California Golden Bears versus Georgia Tech's uh, Yellow Jackets. So it was a championship game. And it was the first quarter, and uh, the Georgia Tech, uh, the Jackets, they find themselves in their own 30-yard line. And they hut, and they, you know, at the scrimmage line, they hut, and there's a fumble at the line. Now, the person on defense pick up, picks up the fumble and starts running. Now, they're only 30 yards away from the end zone. Uh, but in his confusion, because he got disoriented from the hit, uh, he started running very, very fast, but running in the totally opposite direction. Uh, in fact, he ran 69 yards all the way to his own one-yard line uh, where he got tackled. Meanwhile, there's people, his own teammates, chasing him down, telling him, what are you doing? What are you doing? He just kept running like, oh, you're here to cheer me on. You know, he kept running, running. And then someone else tackles him down at the one-yard line. Uh, so their own team picks up their own uh, the football uh, at their one-yard line at the scrimmage there. And uh, if you know about football, uh, you want to get the ball down the field. So instead of having a play, throwing it or running it, they choose to punt it. Uh, lo and behold, the defense blocks the punt uh, and the ball doesn't go anywhere and it ends up being a safety uh, one point uh, for the other team. Now, the game goes on. The guy is obviously distressed. He can't believe he's a professional football player. You know, in college, they're hoping to make it big and he's running uh, wrong way the whole way down and meanwhile there's commentary on the sidelines of the coach while when he's running that you can hear the other coach saying oh let him run because every single step he's taking the other way is a win for us and 
the team, his own teammates are, are, are confused and trying to yell at him, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And this guy is so distraught that he didn't even want to play the rest of the game. Now, fast forward to end the game, and they actually end up losing 8-7, uh, which ended up being that one mistake that was made, that one point that was made. That's how they lost the game. Uh, and lo and behold, this guy's name is Roy Regals, and forever known since 1929, he's known as Roy the Wrong Way Regals. From that one play, from that moment on, that's what defined his career. Uh, that's what defined who he is. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've ever made a mistake like that in your life, maybe not in a, a tremendously important football game, but do you ever find yourselves with your desires pulling you one way where God is calling you the other way, or you know exactly what it is that God's calling you to do in a direction that he's calling you to go towards, but you, you deliberately or unintentionally are running in the opposite direction. And maybe some of you this morning are feeling like you're defined by that moment. Uh, you're defined by just like Roy Regals, uh, Roy Broadway Regals. You feel like that mistake, that moment in your life, you feel like you're still trapped in that you're defined by what happened. And I, I can't help but imagine and think that during this time of the pandemic, during this time of our wrestling with our faith, that what if God is uh, taking away all the fluff, all the things that have been distracting us and bringing us again to the core of our faith, core, bringing us back to the center of who we are, our faith with God. And during this time, maybe this time of suffering for you, this time where you're feeling like you're in the depths, uh, that God is showing you just how much he cares about you, how much he loves you, how far he's willing to go for you. And we learned from today in the book of Jonah that God's mercy is wider than the distance that's between you and him that no matter what has separated you from him, no matter the mistakes you've made, the mistakes you're making right now, there's nothing that separates uh, you from him, that God is greater than that distance. Now, the book of Jonah is different uh, than the rest of the minor prophets. It's the fifth uh, book of the 12 minor prophets that we read in the Old Testament. And we see here that it's a narrative. It's a story of Jonah, not so much like the other uh, prophetic books where it's words spoken by the prophets. This recording in Jonah is what happened to the prophet uh, himself. And as you explore the book, uh, you'll see that Jonah is just so much bigger than the miracle of Jonah and the big fish, uh, which is what he's known for, uh, which is what he's defined by. But the story is so much bigger. And as I start off by addressing that question, you're thinking, Doug, like, come on, like Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the whale, isn't that just you know, a child's story? Uh, isn't that just something that we're taught in Sunday school? If you grew up in Sunday school, you remember the velvet board, you know, the whale coming in and then, you know, little Jonah walking in and my son, uh, Cohen, he drew this little uh, picture for me. You see Jonah in there actually. Um, but, you know, you kind of think about it that way, that, that, uh, that is just a child's story. But I, I think there's four uh, reasons why we believe the story to be true for, for very solid reasons why we ought to uh, take this, serious, uh, this story uh, seriously. Firstly, uh, Jonah was a real person. Uh, he wasn't made up. He's a real person uh, in, in, in history and in scripture. Jonah, his name means dove. And often uh, the dove is the symbol for Israel. So we kind of see him symbolizing the nation of Israel here. But he was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam II between 793 and 753 BC. So he's a real person. That's not a made up story of some random, you know, made up fictional character. Secondly, I just want to point out that uh, scripture uh, highlights for us that it's, uh, it's a big fish and not a whale. 
uh, even though uh, there are gigantic sperm whales in the Mediterranean Sea who have, have been recorded to swallow large squid whole. So it is possible. Uh, maybe they didn't have the word whale in their language and they used the word big fish. doesn't really matter. It's a big mammal of some sort uh, in, in the ocean. Uh, thirdly, uh, we also see this, that Jonah was in the belly of the whale. We know it's for three days and three nights, uh, but it doesn't mention to us in scripture whether he died or not. That's something very fascinating to me. That it never mentions to us that whether he, he died in the belly or not. It says that he's praying in the belly. It doesn't tell us when he's praying. Maybe it's as he's going into the mouth of the fish. He's like, I better pray now. This seems like a good moment uh, where I should be praying uh, for God. And interestingly, in 1881, there's a story of a James Bartley who's on a whaling expedition off the coast of Argentina. Two ships, two British ships, and they're whaling. And uh, one of the whales actually attacks the ship and uh, two of the crew members fall over and James Bartley is one of them. Now, 16 hours later, they caught this whale and legend has it, they found James Bartley as they cut him open, uh, cut the whale open. Uh, he was bleached, he was blind from the acid inside, but he, lo and behold, he was alive. So this is a story uh, of what was recorded. We don't know uh, what happened exactly to James Bartley and we don't really know what happened to Jonah, to be quite honest. Did he die? and then the fish vomited him back out and he was resurrected. Uh, is that so far-fetched if we believe in a God that resurrects and we believe in a God that brings new life? I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, but in some ways, uh, the details there doesn't matter uh, too much. But fourthly, and maybe most importantly, is that Jesus mentions Jonah. Uh, Jesus mentions Jonah as a, as a real person. We see this in, in, in the way that he rebukes uh, the Pharisees and the way that he speaks to his disciples in Matthew 12 and also in Luke 11, that uh, the Pharisees, a little bit of history, uh, a little bit of context, uh, the Pharisees are asking for a sign. And then Jesus says to them, uh, no sign will be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah, uh, who was in the belly of the big fish uh, for three days and three nights. And he compares himself, uh, Jesus refers himself to Jonah in the same way where Jonah's in the belly for three days and three nights. Uh, Jesus is also going to be in the depths of the earth for three days and three nights. So if you don't believe in the history of, uh, of what happened around Jonah, certainly as Christians, we believe in what Jesus said. Uh, I, take for, uh, I take his word at it, that as he refers to Jonah as a real person, uh, at this moment, I too uh, ought to believe in what Jesus uh, is saying what's fascinating and what Jesus says that he's saying to them that uh, he refers to Jonah, the sign of Jonah is to exactly what he is going to do. And what Jesus did was uh, pull the, uh, the nation back to show that salvation has come to uh, that. Jesus was a sign just like Jonah was to the sailors and to the Ninevites that Jesus is a sign of salvation, uh, that there is a God that he's real, that he's reaching out to you and that he loves you. And in the same way, that's what we see here. Uh, going back to the book of Jonah, that that's the sign that we see, that Jonah is the sign of salvation, that God chooses to use him despite his rebelliousness, despite his imperfections, despite the mistakes that he makes, God still chooses uh, to use him. So why is the book of Jonah important? And as we recap from last week, remember that miracles, the purpose of miracles to point us towards God. That's the whole purpose of it. It's not just to do a fancy trick it's not just to show off God's power. This purpose of miracles is to display who God is and to show uh, and to, be, uh, to, to, to point us towards the realities uh, of this God. And in, in, the, in the story today, in the book of Jonah, we see numerous miracles. 
we see the sailors, uh, the calming of the sea, the sailors coming uh, to, to faith. Uh, we see a Jonah uh, being in the belly of the big fish. We see the Ninevites, the whole nation being saved. And later in chapter four, which I'm not going to talk too much about today, is that the, it's the uh, growing up of a tree and the withering of a tree overnight, uh, which is another miracle uh, that we see. And, and remember that uh, miracles often happen in scripture in times where God is trying to get our attention, that God is trying to point ourselves to him, whether we've lost our way, whether we've gone off uh, in different directions, God is trying to point us back in the right direction, point us back towards him. And the big idea is this, uh, as we read uh, Jonah, is that God's grace is greater than our unbelief. That we see today through Jonah, through his disbelief, through his disobedience, through his running away, that we see the story isn't so much of the miracle of, of, of Jonah being stuck in the big fish. That's part of it. The, the miracle and the, the, the point at uh, the sign that we get here from all these miracles that God's grace it's greater than our unbelief it's greater than our disbelief it's greater than our doubts it's greater than what it is that we're wrestling with because we see this like with the sailors with Jonah and with the Ninevites uh, uh, God doesn't need to do anything he doesn't need to love them he doesn't need to save them God didn't need to provide the big fish for Jonah he could have just let him you know fade off into the ocean but God does why? Why does he do this? Well, it's to display his love. It's to display his grace. It's to show us that his grace is greater than whatever it is that we're wrestling with. That despite the mistakes we make, despite our failures and our sin, that God's grace is still greater. And there's a great reason for this, that God is trying to get our attention, that he's trying to draw us back to him. And we often think in, in, in the Christian life that uh, that the Christianity is about rules, it's about following a law, but Christianity is about a re- it's actually about a relationship. It's about a love. And God, uh, instead of in this book of Jonah, instead of motivating us through law and punishment, he's motivating and drawing us back through love, uh, through his gospel. Now imagine this, like uh, an example of uh, being motivated by law. If you're living under the law, I'm driving, maybe I'm in a rush, I'm speeding along, and then you suddenly you see a cop, and what do you do? You slam on the brakes, right? Well, I hope you do, or you get, get caught. Uh, but you see the law. Uh, you see the cop car you know, waiting right there. For me, it's always Marine Drive in Elliott. That's where the cop car is in Vancouver. Uh, you slam on the brakes. You're like, okay, you know, shift the eyes to the max, right? Like, you have to slowly drive by them. Don't even look them in the eye. But imagine that's, motiv- that's motivation by the law. But what God does, he motivates us by love, by wooing us, by pursuing us, even though we don't deserve it. Uh, I remember when uh, we had Cohen, uh, our, our son, and also Ryan. And uh, when we placed our son and our daughter, uh, separate times, we didn't have them together, but like in, in, in our car, uh, in, in the car seat, I remember driving out of a woman's hospital, the parking lot, so, so, so slowly. And Jess is like, What's going on? I'm really hungry. Like, you know, like I'm driving out so slowly because I wasn't motivated by the law anymore. I was motivated out of love. I did not want to hurt Cohen or Ryan in the back. I was pulling out, like driving like so slowly on the Oak Street Bridge. And that's what God wants to do with us. He doesn't want to shock us in terms of like with law and this punishment, though like a good father, like a good parent, he does as well. But here we see Jonah in the times where they don't deserve it. God displays his grace. And this displays his love in order to draw us back, in order for us to understand uh, who he is. So the story of Jonah is how God 
uh, it doesn't only use people who are faithful, but in a weird way, God can also use a wild, wildly unbelieving heart to bring salvation to a nation. Like it, it, it's strange how unbelieving and disbelieving, how disobedient Jonah is, but God still uses him to do mighty things. So it shows us that even when you're disobedient, even when we're disobedient, God makes a way. Even when our hearts don't believe, God can still do the miracle. Even when you don't believe what you're saying, which is what Jonah displays for us, that God can still make a way uh, in our world. And the book starts off here, uh, which Matthew beautifully read for us. Uh, the book starts off with Jonah running in the opposite direction. He's meant to go to Nineveh. God says, go and preach to the Ninevites to tell them to repent. And uh, he runs totally the opposite direction uh, towards Tarshish. Uh, he's at that moment about a thousand kilometers away from Nineveh. So he's not that close. He's on a ship. He needs to get there. But he runs in totally opposite direction. And Jonah ran. He deliberately ran away uh, from, uh, from, uh, uh, from the Lord. We see in verse 3 there that he doesn't run away from Nineveh. He actually runs away from the Lord himself. Uh, that he's disobedient. And we don't know until chapter 4 why that's the case. But we see in chapter 4 that he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't believe that the Ninevites deserve God's grace. Uh, he doesn't believe that the unbelieving nation, uh, the Assyrians, uh, deserve God's grace and deserve God's mercy. But God's grace is greater than our unbelief, greater than our disbelief. And God is displaying that uh, throughout this whole, whole book. Uh, so we see this here that God is uh, able to save the unbelieving sailors and the nation of Nineveh. And it displays to us that you, you just can't outrun God. That no matter how great the distance you are, that God's love is going to find you. That God's love is going to find you no matter where it is that you are, no matter how deep and whatever it is you're in. Uh, God's love finds you because God's love is greater. So first, we see this with the unbelieving sailors, that God's grace is able to reach out uh, to him. That God, in reality, didn't need to save those sailors. Uh, God didn't owe them anything, but God chooses uh, to save them. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 45, we see this. Uh, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten up the ship. So we see here that they see, they're trapped in this uh, great wind that the Lord sent because uh, he's trying to call back Jonah and call him back the other way. And a violent storm rose and the ship was threatening to break up and all the sailors were afraid. So they didn't know what to do. So they started crying out to anyone and everyone. They're like, whatever God there is out there, I'm just gonna cry out to you. Uh, and furthermore, in this time of chaos, in this time of suffering and trial, they try to take things into their own hands. They try throwing cargo into the sea. And that speaks to us in this moment of our pandemic. You know, who are we crying out to? Right? In this moment of, of, of trial, in this moment of suffering, like who are we crying out to? Uh, are we like the sailors here who are throwing you know, prayers up anywhere and everywhere and they don't know who, who it is to reach out to? Or maybe you're trying to take things into your own hands. You're throwing the cargo off the ship of your life. You're trying to throw the cargo away and try to manage and do the, the best that you can instead of calling on to the Lord. So it goes on and, and they ask Jonah, like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? And uh, why are you in the, in, in the uh, <laughs> you know, here uh, not caring about what's going on? And they ask him, like, which country do you come from? Who do you belong to? What do you do for work? And the passage continues on in verse 9. Like, this is how Jonah answers. 
in verse nine, uh, I am a Hebrew. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he's speaking to these uh, unbelieving sailors who are crying out to everyone and to ask him, who do you worship and what do you do? And here he is, he has tenacity to confess this uh, and say this to the sailors. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. And, and as you're reading this, you're like, ah, like, do you really? You know, you're on a ship running away from what God is calling you to do. Uh, and furthermore, he's like, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. And he, and, he, and he confesses and acknowledges that he follows the God who made the sea and the dry land. So he understands that he worships God of heaven who made all things made the sea that he's in and he's on this ship that's the only thing that's separating him between the ship uh between him and the ocean is a thin you know couple planks of wood and he understands that this is a god he's trying to outrun at this moment and he finds himself on the ship is ironic uh i'm not sure if he really uh, believes in what he is saying here that uh that he's proclaiming to uh to the sailors here and we see that uh what he is confessing and what he's actually living out is two separate things, but God still acts as God still moves. Uh, and furthermore, he tells them like, well, it's very easy. Uh, the only, it's very simple. The way for you to do it's for you to calm the storm and to appease God is for you to throw me off the ship. And it sounds very noble. Uh, it's like, yeah, you know, this is like, you know, just throw me off the board. I've sacrificed myself. But what he's really doing is putting the responsibility and the blood into the hands of the sailors. Uh, and, and shifting the responsibility over uh, to them. Uh, and despite this bad mistake, this is what blows my mind. This is how we understand that God's grace is greater than our disbelief, that even though through this act of disobedience, even though he's shifting the blood and the responsibility over to the sailors, the sailors actually come to believe. Uh, in verse 14 and 16, uh, passage continues on saying, then they cried out to the Lord after uh, uh, after Jonah said that to them, please, Lord, do not let us die for this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So out of this crazy scene where they're caught up in a storm that wasn't their fault and they threw over a man and just killed just kill the man. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like, out of all this disobedience and this craziness, they come to believe in God. Uh, out of the messiness of, of, of Jonah running away, uh, they come to believe in God. And, and we see here that it has nothing to do with Jonah. It wasn't Jonah that saved them. That God was turning this around. That, that he was using this miracle, calming the storm to bring the sailors and to show his grace and to show his mercy. And maybe some of you today, you know, you're feeling lost. And you're feeling confused and you're on that ship running around and, and you're not sure what you're searching for. And you've been throwing your hands up like anyone out there, is anyone listening to me? Maybe, maybe during this time in this pursuit, you're chasing all the wrong things and you're getting back into bad habits and you're getting back into bad addictions and you're chasing the wrong things at this time, trying to do whatever it takes to stay afloat. Uh, and I just want to say, even at this time, even when you don't know what you're doing, even though you feel like the world is chaotic and you're running around and you, even though you're trying to get a hold of your own life with your own physical strength, God's grace and mercy is greater than whatever it is that you're going through. God's grace and mercy is greater than our disbelieving that God is able to reach out to you still. And he does to the sailors. 
And the same truth that applied to the sailors then is the same ones to us now, that God is reaching out to you, that God is showing up in miraculous ways around you, trying to draw you back to him into this relationship. The passage also, also continues on going, explaining and showing to us how God's grace is also in Jonah's life. That Jonah didn't deserve uh, saving. Uh, Jonah deserved punishment, if anything, for his rebelliousness. But as the sailors were committing themselves up above in the sea uh, and, and on the ship, uh, dedicating themselves to God, uh, crying out to the Lord and saying that I believe in you, Jonah is sinking down underneath the ship. He's off the ship, sinking down to the depths of the sea. He's thinking that this is it for him. But scripture is very clear here in verse 17 that God provided. God provided. Don't miss that word. God provided. It wasn't a random big fish. It wasn't a random whale, whatever you want to say. That just so happened to come by and be like, this looks delicious. I'm hungry. And just eat up Jonah. It was appointed. The whale, the big fish, was provided and it's sent. And it's the same word, this word provide is the same one in chapter four where God provides the tree to provide uh, uh, shade over Jonah. Uh, that this is the same word to provide. That it's not accidental, that God provides uh, for Jonah here. That we see here that God saved Jonah when he didn't have to. He didn't owe Jonah anything. Jonah was disobedient. Jonah was running away, but God displayed uh, his grace uh, to uh, Jonah, that his grace is greater than his uh, disbelief and, and his unbelief. And Jonah has a bit of a turning uh, as he's in the belly of the big fish in chapter 2, 8 to 9. Uh, chapter 2 is a, a recording of his prayer uh, altogether. But we see here at the end of uh, verses 8 to 9, uh, which you see on the screen here, that those who cling on to, uh, he prays this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. Uh, God's love for them. But I, he confesses he, and he uh, repents with shouts of grateful praise, even though he's in the belly of the big fish, will, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So he proclaims once again that God, this is, uh, you're the one in control. I will continue to sacrifice to you my life. I'll continue to follow you and dedicate to you. He doesn't pray to be delivered. He just says salvation comes from you, God, and you will have your way. And then when the fish heard this, God commanded the fish in verse, uh, verse 10. Uh, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. What a scene. Uh, that's an interesting scene uh, to, to, to think about. So even though God didn't need to save Jonah, even though God didn't do anything to earn salvation here, all it said was from a confession of, of his mouth and he received it. That he received and, and the fish let him out and he's on to dry land. I'll move on to uh, the Ninevites. So God saved the Ninevites. So we see that God saved the sailors uh, because of his grace. He didn't need to. God saved Jonah when he didn't need to. God also saved the Ninevites when he didn't need to. It's all because of his grace that all these three parties got something that they did not deserve. And Nineveh was an ancient city. It's an ancient capital of Assyria. Uh, and it, it was seen as Israel's uh, enemy. It's the worst enemy. Uh, so imagine this, that Jonah is told to go preach love and grace to his enemy, to his nation's enemy. Imagine God telling you to do the same thing uh, to whoever it is that you deem uh, your enemy, to share the good news of Christ, to share the good news of grace and mercy and salvation to someone that you really, really, really don't like. Maybe it's an ex-boyfriend. 
uh, an ex-girlfriend. Maybe it's a classmate that you do not enjoy being around. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a father who, who left you. Maybe it's a, it's a spouse that's hurt you in, in terrible ways. But God is telling Jonah in the very same way to go and proclaim love to these people. Now we see here in, with the Ninevites that, that God, he doesn't only uh, make a way for those that disbelieve. Uh, that aren't believing. He doesn't only make a way for those who are wrestling with doubt. He also makes a way for those that are his enemies. The farthest away. The farthest away. Anyone that's his enemy, God has made a way for him. That God's grace is greater than their unbelief, their disobedience. Even though they are God's enemy, God makes a way. We see here that Nineveh was a great city. And uh, chapter 3, verse 2 uh, that it took three days to make your way through. Some commentators say maybe it was uh, make your way around. Uh, that's another way of understanding this, this passage. Either way, Nineveh was a great city. It was a big city. And this is what I want to highlight. Chapter 3, th- verse 3 to 5. Uh, Jonah, so he obeyed. He gets spat out onto the sea, and he goes into Nineveh. He's like, all right, God, you've made your point. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. So he's only a day in. Uh, and Jonah began a, a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed a fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. So this disobedient prophet went on the ocean almost killed the sailors. They came to be saved. He gets saved by a big fish. Now he's into Nineveh. God's will is sovereign, still good. He's pulling him through. And he's one day in to a huge city to proclaim a message of salvation, to repent. And God used this sermon, uh, which in Hebrew is five words long. Just imagine with me, all right? God used a five-word sermon to save a nation. That is a miracle, guys. God used a five-word sermon to save a nation. I don't know about you. Do you ever feel like your words aren't sufficient? Do you feel like you ever don't know what you're doing? You feel like you're not good enough. You're not, uh, I don't have enough energy. You're not explaining things well enough. You don't know what to do with certain people. You, don't, you lack the skills. You lack the gifts. Uh, God used a five-word sermon to, to save a nation. It had nothing to do with Jonah. And the thing is, this five-word sermon wasn't even a profound sermon. It wasn't even a great sermon. It was so many things missing there. Like, 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 imagine you're standing there in the street and you're like selling, you know, some bread on the side. And then this man, you know, just walks out bleached. And I don't know, this looks like he just came out of a belly of a fish. Then walk, comes down and he's proclaiming this five word sermon. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, what's missing here? Like, what did I do wrong? Why, why do I need to repent, right? Like he didn't say what they did wrong. He didn't even say what their response should be. Like, so what should I do about this? He, and furthermore, he didn't even mention God at all. He didn't even say anything about God. But God used this five-word sermon to change a nation. God used this short sermon to change a nation. And what is profound, I don't know if Jonah knows this, is that the word for overthrow there at the end, in other parts of scripture, it could mean destroy. So in 40 days, uh, Nineveh will be destroyed. But it could also mean this. Uh, in other parts of scripture, this word for overthrow also means transformed, also means changed. 
So God used this five-word sermon saying, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be transformed. And Nineveh is going to be changed forever. So, so, so powerful that the king later on in chapter, uh, verse six, uh, repents. Not only the king, but all the animals in the kingdom. That's what we see here. <laughs> Repent. And the whole nation comes to see. And so th- this profounds me that this is how great God's grace is. It's greater than our dis- disbelief. It's greater than our dis- uh, disobedience. That God was able to use this moment to change a nation from this broken and disobedient prophet. Now, there's a bit of history to there that Nineveh did worship a god, a fish god named Dagon. And, and they worshiped this fish god. He was apparently half man, half, half, uh, half fish. And he would come out during the day and give prophecies and go back during the, uh, during the night. And I've asked myself, maybe you've asked yourself this question, why did Jonah exactly need to be in the fish, a belly of a big fish? Because God was contextualizing the message that this is what you're going through. This is what you're wrestling with. So what I'm going to send a man coming out of this big fish. I'm not going to send you a false message. I'm not going to send you a message of, uh, of, of weakness, uh, of disbelief, but I'm going to proclaim the truth with this five word sermon that, and no wonder if you were there and you saw this man come out of the fish and he preached a sermon, it could have been one word. It doesn't matter. It was the timing of it all that they came to believe of what God is doing. It's all God's grace. All God's doing, none of it had to do with Jonah. That God already set the wheels into motion in his sovereign plan to save a nation, to save the sailors, to even save Jonah. And the fact is, God didn't need any of that, but he chose it out of his grace. And here today, what is, what is my point? That God, God's grace is greater than our disbelief, than whatever it is you're wrestling with. God's grace is greater than that. That God didn't need to save you that God didn't need to save me, but he did out of his grace. That God can use you in ways more, way more imaginable than what even you think. That, that short conversation you had, that, that simple gesture that you had, that God is in control, that God is sovereign in this time. That God's grace is greater than our unbelief. And whatever mistakes that you made in the past, whatever you feel like you've been defined by, Whatever mistakes you feel like you're marked by, whatever you feel like you're labeled by, Jesus has given you a new name. That Jesus has changed you forever, not because of anything that we have done, but because of our stance, because how we stand before God and what he has done on that cross. But die on the cross for you and for me and by rising again on the third day and be resurrected, showing that he has power over death. In the way that he's resurrected Jonah, in the way that he's resurrected the nation and the sailors, he is doing the same thing to us here today so a few application points to end today that maybe for you you're like jonah you're running away god's calling you to a very specific mission right now how are you running away and maybe you're being disobedient what do you need to do to turn back to what god is saying maybe on the other end you think like jonah and the ninevites that you think someone doesn't deserve grace that someone doesn't deserve God's grace and God's mercy. Maybe God is calling you to go and speak and display his grace and his mercy towards them. What is one thing uh, you keep doing uh, when God tells you uh, to turn around? Uh, maybe you're on a ship right now heading in the opposite direction. What is he telling you that to stop that and to repent and to turn away and turn into the direction that he's calling you towards? Fourthly, maybe you're feeling distant today, that God is nowhere to be found. But we see here that no matter where you are, in the depths of the sea, in the depths of a big fish, 
No matter how deep and dark the hole that you find yourselves in, God is there. The God is speaking to you, but are you listening to him? Pay attention. How is he reaching out to you? How is he speaking to you? How has he already provided a miracle in your life to keep you from fading away? Fifthly and lastly, is there someone you know whose heart is really far away from God? And you're thinking, God can't ever use me. God can't ever do anything in my life to change their life. God used the five-word sermon to change the nation around. I believe in faith that God can use you in greater and more miraculous ways than you can ever think or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message in Jonah. We thank you, God, that you remind us, God, in this miracle that it points towards your goodness, your grace, and your salvation. Father, thank you that your grace is greater than our unbelief, that your grace is greater than our, than our disobedience. So, Father, in the ways that we've ran, we repent to you this morning, saying return to you, and we're saying that we follow you. And for those of us that do not yet know you, Jesus, this morning, God, maybe at this moment you're pulling us back towards you. And we're saying yes to you for the very first time, saying that, God, during this pandemic, during this time, I've tried everything. I've tried everything and I feel out of control, but God, you're the only one that can bring peace. You're the one that's been calling out to me this whole time. And may today be the day one of that uh, new life. Father, for those of us that are, uh, you call us to a specific calling uh, to speak to that person, maybe to a life change or maybe to a specific career, God, give us courage to follow. Give us courage to follow your call in our lives. So thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving your grace when we don't deserve your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.